The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to the Sox Machine Podcast 2021 Player Reviews. I'm Josh Nelson. In the upcoming months, we'll be selecting a player or position group to recap their 2021 season discussing if said player or players met or exceeded expectations and what does their near future outlook appear to be with the 2022 Chicago White Sox. The Chicago White Sox made two big moves in their offseason preparing for 2021. The first move was trading for Lance Lynn. That happened on December 8, 2020. Five weeks later, they made their biggest free agent signing of the offseason by inking closer Liam Hendricks to a three-year deal with a club option that guarantees $54 million to the former A's closer who ended the White Sox 2020 season by striking out Nomar Mazzara to conclude the American League wildcard series in Oakland. General Manager Rick Hahn felt that the addition of Hendricks would give the White Sox a missing piece in a bullpen that struggled to find consistent arms in 2020. Hendricks replaced former closer for the White Sox, Alex Colome, who made his way to Minnesota, and it was a juicy possibility of these two going up against each other during the course of 2021. Obviously, that didn't happen. Colome melted down multiple times early in the season that was in part to the destruction of the Minnesota Twins 2021 season and why they finished close to the bottom of the American League Central. But the amount that Hendricks signed for is what the market goes for when it comes to premium closers, which Hendricks was in 2020, winning the American League Reliever of the Year. However, the White Sox had other needs for their roster. They needed a left-handed bat who could possibly play right field. And instead of spending $54 million to find that right fielder, they signed Adam Eaton to a one-year deal and then decided to cut him in July. The amount that Hendricks received also prevented the White Sox from maybe adding a left-handed bat as a DH, someone like Michael Brantley. While the White Sox felt closer was their biggest need in the offseason, 
there was an outside difference of opinion on that particular matter. Hendricks made his White Sox debut on April 2nd in Anaheim and was asked to get a four-out save, an aggressive approach off the bat, and Hendricks didn't have the greatest first impression. He allowed a home run while giving up two earned runs, but Hendricks did record his first save in a 12-8 victory. But then two outings later, in his second save attempt, Hendricks gave up the go-ahead home run and a 4-3 loss at home against Kansas City. In April, Hendricks gave up four home runs after allowing just one home run in all of 2020 over 24 games. He was 5-7 for seven in save opportunities, but Hendricks wasn't exactly pitching like a premium closer. On April 30th, Hendricks had a season 4.35 ERA and a 5.2 FIP. Hendricks would find a rhythm in the month of May and was quite dominant. In 13 appearances, Hendricks picked up eight saves, only allowing two runs, which neither of them were earned, striking out 19 and walking just two. In June, Hendricks just blew one save, which was on June 11th at Detroit, but the White Sox came back to win that game 5-4 to to give Hendricks the win. On June 26th, trying to get the game into extra innings, Hendricks picked up the loss as he gave up a ninth inning solo home run. Despite those two bumps in the road, Hendricks had another good month, picking up eight more saves. Hendricks made his second All-Star appearance in 2021, and he actually picked up the save in that game as the American League won 5-2. Hendricks made headlines when he agreed to wear a microphone during his ninth inning, and thinking that nobody could hear him because of issues with the microphone, Hendricks instead was caught dropping profanities during the national broadcast. It was a riot to watch. As the season progressed, Hendricks was his typical reliable self. But fans were at times on the edge of their seats as home runs would creep up. Hendricks blew two save opportunities in July because of the home run. And come August, Hendricks had one bad series concerning the home run. In the Field of Dreams game, Hendricks came on in the ninth inning with a 7-4 lead. A great opportunity for Hendricks in one of the most watched Major League Baseball regular season games in a decade to show off his dominance. However, the Yankee Sluggers had other thoughts. Both Aaron Judge and John Carl Stanton hit mammoth bombs off Hendricks as the Bronx Bombers scored four runs in the top of the ninth inning to take an 8-7 victory. What felt like a big moment for the White Sox was lost. Or, Hendricks was being a good teammate and helped set the table for Tim Anderson, who hit his walk-off two-run homer to give the White Sox and Hendricks the win. The next game against New York, with an off-day sandwiched in, Hendricks once again gave up another home run, this time to Joey Gallo in the top of the 10th inning, as Hendricks was lifted after giving up two runs with that homer and recording just one out. That was the last home run Hendricks allowed in the regular season. After much criticism on how poorly he pitched against the Yankees, Hendricks vowed he would fix his issues, and boy did he ever. Over his last 19 appearances, Hendricks gave up just one run. In September, Hendricks appeared in 13 games, pitching 13 and two-thirds scoreless innings, only allowing six hits, walking none, and striking out 21. He was absolutely dominant in September. 
Hendricks finished his 2021 regular season with 38 saves, leading the American League, and finished one save behind Mark Melanson for the Major League Baseball lead. In 69 games, Hendricks pitched 71 innings with an amazing 113 strikeouts to just seven walks. His season ERA was 2.54, and Hendricks was worth 2.6 war, according to baseball reference. Entering the postseason, the White Sox fans were hoping to see Hendricks in full force closing out games. Hendricks made his first appearance in Game 2, but the White Sox were already down by five runs, and Hendricks striking out two in a scoreless inning really meant nothing. Hendricks did appear in Game 3 with the White Sox up by six runs. There was some minor controversy in using Hendricks for that inning when the Astros needed to score a touchdown to take the lead, but Hendricks slammed the door shut with two more strikeouts and another scoreless outing, giving the White Sox their first postseason win of the series. It would be the only postseason win for the White Sox, and in Game 4, with the game very much in hand for Houston, Jose Altuve teed off on Liam Hendricks, hitting a three-run homer as the ending memory of the White Sox 2021 season. Hendricks' season started off giving up a home run. It ended giving up a home run. Hendricks won the 2021 American League Reliever of the Year and had a good season. He continued to be the White Sox closer despite the team acquiring Craig Kimbrell at the trade deadline. But after that Houston series, manager Tony La Russa admitted to the media that Kimbrell is not a setup guy and it's a role he's not comfortable pitching in. Rick Hahn in his offseason press conference admitted that if the White Sox were to keep Kimbrell after picking up his option, they would need to use him in a different manner than they did in 2021. So despite the big commitment the White Sox made on Hendricks, if Kimbrell returns for the 2022 season, there's going to be heavy discussion during spring training. Who will be closing games for the White Sox? Is it still Hendricks in that situation? Or is it Kimbrell? And if the White Sox do find a trade partner for Kimbrell, can Hendricks continue living up to his hefty contract? We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. 
So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Joining me now to continue Liam Hendricks' 2021 player review is the managing editor of SoxMachine.com and the co-host of the podcast, it's Jim Margulis. And hello, Jim. After watching Liam Hendricks in 2021, how would you grade his season? I feel like I would give it a B plus. I think it's a B in terms of the job of a closer, like the pass-fail nature of the closer job. But when it comes to the peripherals underneath it, I mean, it's hard to top that strikeout to walk ratio, which I think would be an A. So I think, you know, he, he had some blown saves here and there, uh, a little bit of a home run problem, but ultimately by the end of the season, he looked like the guy the White Sox were paying for. So that's why I say B plus. All right. So let's talk about the home runs because I know guarantee rate field is a hitter's park. And if you're the closer of the Oakland athletics and you go from the Oakland Coliseum in which often you want a fly ball, because uh, if it goes into foul territory, uh, you got huge tracks of land at the Coliseum. Huge. Huge. Uh, and it's hard to hit home runs at the Coliseum. You go from that environment to guarantee rate field, well, there's going to be a drastic change. But Hendricks allowed 11 home runs in 2021. It's the second most allowed home runs in his career since he allowed 17 home runs as a starting pitcher for the Minnesota Twins all the way back in 2012. How big of a concern are the home runs that Hendricks allowed in 2021? And is this something White Sox fans have to pay close attention to going into next season? I would say it's in... Yeah, it's kind of like a, a volcano that isn't active. You know, not, not quite dormant, but also not active. The way he ended the season with 19 games without a homer allowed, 21. Like, his last 21 innings were great. He also had a stretch earlier in the season during the first half where he went, I believe, 19 games without allowing a homer. So it's not, you know, the, the strikeouts give him an advantage that few pitchers get. And I think if other pitchers were more homer prone or equally homer prone, you'd feel it a lot more. But I think, you know, his ability to basically not walk anybody and strike out a lot of the guys uh, who don't hit homers off him makes it easier to absorb the damage when it does happen. Uh, and it happens frequently enough and at least in clumps enough to where if one occurs, you have to worry about like maybe a second or third around the corner pretty soon. But when he gets on a roll where he's not allowing them, I think there is the ability to let it go. And, and not be so uh, fearful of another one happening based on how he described it as a, a pitch tipping issue to stay on top of. That might be, you know, how it works for him to where he has a very simple approach to pitching, but it's also a case where if he gives away any of that simple approach, that's all the hitter needs to give themselves a chance. You know, maybe just uh, given that there's no mystery in the pitch sequencing or the pitch mix, uh, that he really needs to stay on top of his game to not be showing something to the hitter that just gives him that extra fraction of a second edge to know where it's going to go and how it's going to ride. So I, I think that's kind of how I look at it right now. I think if he ended the season on a home run binge, 
I might be a little more apprehensive about feeling great about his, you know, 2022 prospects. But given that he was able to get past it and, you know, more or less after that Yankee series, uh, didn't allow another one, I, I think he's earned some benefit of the doubt in, in saying that he's got a handle on it. Yeah, again, after giving up the three home runs in his two appearances against the Yankees in mid-August, Hendricks doesn't allow another home run for the rest of the season. So the home runs were the bad part of Hendricks's 2021 season. You mentioned the incredible strikeout to walk ratio of the regular season, 113 strikeouts to seven walks. And with, on the strikeout front, the reason why the White Sox wanted Liam Hendricks to be their closer instead of Alex Colomay is that the White Sox wanted more strikeouts from the bullpen. They want to see less contact from their relievers in late high leverage situations. I think we saw what happens in when your bullpen pitchers in the postseason uh, have to pitch to contact because of control issues against a team like the Houston Astros. You can get burned with that strategy. But with the way that Hendricks pitched in 2021, Jim, does that really back up as far as the White Sox front office and coaching staff thinking and their philosophy moving forward is that we're going to see more of these high velocity arms within the White Sox bullpen with the focus on strikeout rate. You would like to see the White Sox do that. I think they got into a situation where they liked hard throwers, but they also like ground balls. Like I'm thinking like Aaron Bummer, who is very, very good at his job and very unique in just the sheer quantity of ground balls he gets plus the presence of that swing and miss slider. But you get a case like Cody Hoyer, who's sinker, sinker, sinker until all of a sudden it doesn't work. And then, you know, I, I think the Cubs are trying to get him to work more up in the zone. And he had decent results run prevention wise, but didn't really strike anybody out with the Cubs. So I think they're trying to figure that out as well. But when it comes to the, um, you know, fastball carry that still seems like, you know, even though more and more pitchers are doing that, it still seems like a very viable strategy in today's game that it would be nice to see them produce that. But I think, you know, Hendricks just signing him you know, to begin with was, somewhat of an admission that they don't exactly know how to generate those guys the way the Rays can kind of crank out uh, a new seven relievers of that type basically every year. But to go back to the strikeout rate, like um, it's fascinating to me just how ridiculous that was. 113 strikeouts against seven walks at 16.14 strikeouts per walk. Uh, that that beats the record by nearly 10 strikeouts. <laughs> David Robertson had the highest strikeout to walk ratio over like a comparable amount of innings in 2015 at 6.62. Okay. Yeah, that's a huge difference. <laughs> so I think Hendricks is special in that regard to where even if they did have more of a track record, I think they're still signing Liam Hendricks to be Liam Hendricks. And I think more or less, you know, my, my apprehension was not with the signing was not the talent. Um, and, and not thinking that it w he was going to be a force for at least a couple more years, but just more that th do the White Sox have the offense uh, and, and the starting pitching to get games to him on a reliable basis. We're going to get back to that point in a moment. But with, again, with this bullpen philosophy, this is why we are concerned when Garrett Crochet has fluctuating fastball velocity mm -hmm. because Garrett Crochet is not the same pitcher when he's throwing 98 99 in appearance and then the next time you see him he's throwing 95 like that's not the same guy it's not the same type of stuff 
he is going to be more hittable because every hitter who is looking at the scouting report is going up to the plate looking for 98, 99. They're seeing 95. Okay, we can catch up to it. If I can get the sequence down, there's going to be a pitch that I could be able to hit and hit well against Garrett Crochet. Hendricks seemed to avoid the velocity dip in 2021, uh, which was great for him and great for the White Sox. Again, Hendricks has won the last two American League Reliever of the Year awards. And as we recap the midseason acquisitions in a previous podcast, so if you didn't get a chance to listen to that podcast, you can look through it uh, through our archives on Sox Machine. And that podcast episode, we talked about Craig Kimbrell. And as we record this episode, the White Sox still haven't found a trade partner for Kimbrell. So at this moment, he's still on the White Sox. Jim, let's say, hypothetically, the White Sox do keep Kimbrell for XYZ reason for the 2022 season. How do you foresee the White Sox handling Kimbrell and Hendricks when they admitted, both Tony La Russa and Rick Hahn, that the White Sox didn't use Kimbrell properly in 2021? Uh, I mean, like when it comes to the idea that they didn't use him properly, I'm not really sympathetic to the whole tailor-made closing uh, you know, situations necessary for a closer. Like, yeah, I think, I think I've talked about before that just like the idea of Kimbrell being a future hall of famer drives me nuts. Cause it's just like, yeah, it's, you know, not the easiest job in the world, but it's like the easiest job to be a hall of famer for throwing one inning every few days in a situation where the, everybody else has already done the hard work of getting a lead through eight innings. So, you know, to have, such, you know, the delicate constitution to where like anything beyond the ninth inning is just untenable and a a recipe for failure. Just like, how is that guy a hall of famer? Like how is anybody a hall of famer? You know, Mariano Rivera, he's a hall of famer because he could come in for multiple innings and do some, some crazy work in the highest leverage situations possible. And that's why he's, you know, he was unanimous, but like with Kimbrell, just like he's a good closer and he's had some historic, you know, strikeout rates, but like, if he's not going to be like a fireman type at any point or can't be used outside of his comfort zone, then, you know, why is that guy a hall of famer? But I guess, you know, that I'm all saying this because partially to complain, but also because like, I don't want to see, uh, Hendrix's job in, in Hendrix's, you know, and even Aaron bummers, like they're, they're high leverage situations. They're what they're good at and how they're good at closing games. I don't want to see that compromised necessarily in order to give Kimbrell, games in the ninth because like Kimbrell like you know he struggled in the eighth but he also like his fastball is missing a little bit of velocity his his fastball velocity had peaked in May and June and was on the way down a little bit so it was just the case where like his fastball wasn't as good as it had been and the curveball was sometimes nowhere near the strike zone so does the ninth inning solve all of that I'm skeptical so that's why I I would think that I would keep generally speaking, the same order of Hendricks handling the ninth. And I don't mind him even pitching parts of the eighth and having Aaron Bummer doing the same thing, three, three plus outs before then, because that seems to work out well for everybody. And then with Kimbrell, you know, just, I would start him in the eighth or the seventh and, you know, should a game get to the ninth and Hendricks is unavailable or had been worked hard, uh, then I don't mind seeing him get that save situation, try it out. Um, you know, maybe having two closers allows Tony Larusa the leverage to use Hendricks for multiple innings, use him for the eighth and ninth innings, and then give him a night off next time with Kimbrel there. So I can see some patterns or opportunities for creative usage, but I don't really want to see 
the highest leverage situations get away from Hendricks just because it'll make Kimbrell feel better. And again, in that podcast episode, Jim and I both believe Kimbrell is going to get traded. I think, yeah, Rick Hahn. Rick Hahn believes he's going to be traded based <laughs> yeah. on the way he just talked about how a trade could happen. Yeah, very true. So we are not expecting this hypothetical to be in play for the White Sox going into spring training 2022. However, we have to prepare because we weren't prepared really to talk about Carlos Rodon returning to the White Sox last late November, early December of 2020. And lo and behold, he came back. So you can't completely close the door yet until Craig Kimbrell has been officially traded. But that's why I wanted to just ask this question now, because I I'm in the same boat with you, Jim, the white Sox have made this commitment. Hendricks has now won back-to-back seasons, the American league reliever of the year. And the strikeout to walk ratio is excellent. Yes, the home runs were a concern, but from mid-August to the end of the regular season, Hendricks was the closer that we all hoped for. But that's the question I want to ask you after the hypothetical, looking back at the signing. And as I mentioned in the intro, the White Sox had other roster holes. With Rick Hahn so focused on landing Liam Hendricks at this type of deal, it prevented him from spending more money to address right field, It prevented him finding perhaps another left-handed bat to help out at DH for the season. And after the Lance Lynn trade and signing Hendricks and acquiring Adam Eaton, that was pretty much the White Sox offseason. Looking back at that signing and knowing on how well Hendricks threw in 2021, was Hendricks worth the money? I think he was worth the money, but maybe not for the best reasons. Like, I think... If I could say like he was worth the money, like absolutely do it again. It's because, you know, enough other pieces fell into place. Hendricks had the opportunity to close out postseason games and, you know, he did his job well, you know, maybe they didn't win it all, but at least, you know, he got a chance to factor in to a lot of high leverage appearances. But with the way the season shaked out and the way like the, they won the division by so much and the way the, the twins kind of crapped the bed. I think it's harder to know exactly what his individual contribution was or, you know, what somebody else in his place would have done. Like the one thing that I think that's, you know, I think the bullpen was wobbly enough to where like Hendricks might've saved it. Like it might've, he might've been able to stabilize the whole enterprise back there. And so he was worth it because we don't know how bad it would have gotten if say Alex Colomay returned and had the season that Alex Colomay had with the twins. Like, if you have that on top of Aaron Bummer struggling early on top of Evan Marshall being hurt on top of Cody Hoyer, not being able to replicate his recipe for success, that's a mess. And I don't know how many games that loses. Uh, the, the one thing that kind of, uh, I guess makes me not get carried away with that argument is that the White Sox still fared worse in the ninth innings, uh, you know, entering, uh, you know, holding a lead entering the ninth innings than they did the year before, even the two years before when Colomay was the closer. So they, you know, it wasn't necessarily, they, were, they weren't lights out with Hendricks there. They were more or less like good, you know, uh, above average, not great, not league leading, but good. Whereas the White Sox were league leading with their ninth inning conversions when Colomay was there. But, you know, it's just... Hendricks was so good. The rest of the bullpen was so shaky that I don't think I would want to see 
what the bullpen looked like without Hendricks there. So that's why I say he was worth the money, but I wish I could say he was worth the money because all the right situations got to him. And as we saw in the postseason, they really could have used some offense, some offensive depth, uh, some some modularity to their lineup to have more lefties, have more fly ball hitters, to uh, you know not get blown out by the Astros. You know because you know when when the games got big, you know in the postseason, just there weren't any situations for Hendricks to pitch where it mattered. Yeah, I'm a firm believer that in roster construction, if you feel that you need to spend money, a lot of money on a closer, that really has to be the final piece for your roster construction. Because again, Hendricks only appeared in 69 games for the White Sox this year. Mm -hmm. And he threw 71, 72 innings for the entire season. And you make your largest offseason commitment on a pitcher who only pitches 72 innings in a season. That's somewhat baffling to me when you have roster holes that we are still talking about coming into this offseason for the White Sox heading to 2022 in which they need to address right field. And they punched a hole at second base to acquire Craig Kimbrell. And I just feel like while Liam Hendricks was a great ad for the White Sox, maybe it was a season too soon. I I would have rather have seen the White Sox spend the $54 million on a right fielder or on a left-handed bat so they could cross that off the list because that particular player is going to play in 100-plus games if they are healthy and they are going to contribute more throughout the regular season than a closer who's only going to throw one inning in each appearance and come the divisional series against Houston Hendricks only pitched three innings and his last inning, he gave gives up a three run Homer uh, to Jose Altuve to make game four a complete laugher. And that's how Hendricks season and the white Sox season ends. So while I, I think both can be right, Liam Hendricks was great for the white Sox in 2021. And based on how he pitched in 2021, he was worth the money. The white Sox paid him. I also don't think I also think it's correct to say that the White Sox did not allocate funds properly based on what their roster holes were last offseason. And we're still talking about those roster holes a year later. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. It's it's tricky to strike the balance. And, yeah, I guess the way I look at it is I wish we were talking about Hendricks as though he were overkill. That <laughs> he was just completely unnecessary. Uh, that you know they could have been fine with Colome. That Cody Hoyer could have been closing out games. Um, but the fact that it was so wobbly is the one thing that just makes me think. You know, it's for the wrong reasons. Like oh, they, you know, none of the other bullpen arms really held together for the full season. So they needed every bit of Hendricks's excellence in order to not fall apart. But then again, they won the division by so much that. You know, it's hard to know how to play. It would be fascinating, like, to play the season again just to see how it works any different, you know. But given the way the season played out, it still felt a little bit, like, overkill just because he wasn't necessary to win the division in the sense. But there is a chance, I can buy the argument a little bit, that he helped glue it together, that, it, you know, that he allowed uh, some of the struggles to not blow up 
more games the way that uh, they could have if like Cody Hoyer were the plan B closer or if, uh, um, you know, Alex Colome came back and, and the White Sox held on to him a year too long. Like that's, but that's like the less fun way to talk about a player. Like I wish you were talking about like, oh yeah, he was great, but also like anybody could have done his job. This is the case where the White Sox had enough guys who just showed that they probably couldn't. But then again, like that's why Tony La Russa is there. Like uh, it's the other, you know, combination is, um, you know, you hire Tony La Russa because he's great at improvising, but then you do something that requires the least creativity in signing a high, you know, big, big dollar, high value contract closer who just takes all the thinking out of it. Well, looking ahead to 2022, Hendricks's payroll salary, according to spot track is going to be 13.33 million in 2023. It goes up by a million. It'll be 14.33 million. And in 2024, there's the club option, which is 15 million. If the White Sox don't pick up the club option, they still have to pay out that 15 million, but it's $1.5 million for the next year for 10 years. What type of numbers does Hendricks need to put up in the following season's gym to be worth his contract that he signed with the White Sox? I think probably similar, you know, like in terms of like save conversion in case, you know, in, in the sense of like the pass fail job of a closer, like he went 38 for 44, which is good. You know, there are some who have done it better, a lot who do it worse. So that's more or less fine. And, you know, the thing I think that I grew to appreciate about Hendricks versus say like Alex Colomay the year before was, you know, when he's not giving up homers, how hard it is to score off him. You basically need to come up with three singles over the course of uh, five batters because he doesn't walk anybody. He doesn't give up many extra base hits. Like the sing- the hits that he gives up are, you know, maybe jam shot singles or, uh, you know, they, they aren't struck particularly well. And then he doesn't really have any wild pitches the way that like K- Craig Kimbrell hemorrhaged bases. Like he doesn't throw pass balls, doesn't throw wild pitches. Like his approach is so direct that it's easy to catch. So you add it up and just, it's so hard to string together an effective sequence against him over the course of an inning. So that's why I think that, you know, he's got a lot of room to regress in terms of his strikeout to walk rate and still be an effective closer. If he can just figure out or like maintain having figured out the home run issue. So I think he's more or less on track to make the, uh, option here an easy decision as long as like health doesn't pop up we'll talk more about liam Hendricks when spring training comes up in 2022 but jim thank you so much for jumping on again and helping recap liam Hendricks's 2021 season it's always a treat that will do it for this 2021 player review podcast thanks for listening and if you just discovered the socks machine podcast you can subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts Follow us on Twitter at SoxMachine, and you can follow me on Twitter at SoxMachine underscore Josh. For those that have been listening to the show all season, and if you haven't already signed up, think about doing so at our Patreon page. Our Patreon supporters receive exclusive content, ad-free versions of the podcast and website, and the first opportunity to receive our new Sox Machine swag items. We have monthly plans starting at just $2 a month, and our annual plan save you 9%. To sign up, visit patreon.com slash SoxMachine. The SoxMachine Podcast is a production of SoxMachine.com, part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network, 
and your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball. I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.